Welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro bringing you your regularly scheduled episode of Monday Madness on September 27th, 2021. Folks, got a little news for you. This will likely be the last episode of Monday Madness that is filmed in Colorado for a little while. I'll still be delivering weekly episodes, but from California. Your boy's getting shipped out to pick up a little bit of field experience because, at the end of the day, this company does it all. Media is definitely something we're proud to work on, but we also have work in engineering, technology, and business development that keeps everyone on their toes. If this is news to you, I encourage you to go to www.rarepetro.com so that you can see all of the professional services we offer. We'd love to work with you and yours to modernize the oil field. But I know you didn't come here to listen to a young engineer chase his dreams. You came for the best news in oil and gas and the respective data. Let's do it. WTI is having a hell of a week so far. I know it's only Monday, but the prices are $75.36 at the time of recording this podcast. Last Tuesday, we saw it dip as low as $69.67, but it spent virtually no time below $70 as it popped right back up in just a couple of hours. From there, it climbed to $74 on Friday. I don't want to jinx anything, but I really believe that $70 has become the new floor with 75 as the new ceiling, maybe just for a short amount of time. While the price is currently above 75, Mondays tend to introduce lots of volatility, so it could end up dropping as low as 72 or even back to 70. Still, there's plenty of reason to believe that it could go even higher. You can just go back and listen to the more recent episodes of Monday Madness to find at least a dozen factors providing strong upward pressure on WTI price action. Next, I'd like to take a little time to look at natural gas prices as, well, you know, they're up there. Right now, they're sitting at $5.544, about as high as they peaked back almost two weeks ago. Plenty of people said, oh, it couldn't go much higher than that. Five and a half must have been the ceiling. We at Rare Petro are skeptical of that argument. Natural gas prices went up so quickly due to low rates of storage and continued high demand. It was to be expected that it encountered some resistance sooner or later on its bull run. Now, it's had a little time to cool off. It's looking like it's primed for boiling over once again. Folks, this winter your energy bill is likely going to get very expensive. We need the gas here, but even Europe is continuing to import it to service their needs as wind energy fails to deliver. We didn't spend a whole lot of time storing gas through this past year, so keep your eye on this commodity as it could get pricey. The rig count was nice to us this week as we saw another 9 rigs go up in the states. This leaves us with a total of 521 rigs, which is two times as much as we had this time last year. As far as basins go, the Permian, Eagleford, Canna Woodford, and Arcoma Woodford each saw a gain of one. The Granite Wash and Marcellus each lost one. It's easier to see who led the pack in terms of gains state by state. Louisiana and Oklahoma absolutely dominated, putting up four rigs each. Texas closely followed with three, and Utah was the biggest loser, down one. Ten of these rigs are targeting oil, while one fewer is targeting gas. A healthy mix of horizontal, directional, and vertical being drilled. The Gulf of Mexico is likely responsible for Louisiana's success, as the rig count doubled in a week alone from four to eight. Pretty standard explainable stuff here, and I'm glad that there are at least some companies down there who are able to put capital towards drilling rather than debt. Lastly, the inventory report, which was covered in last week's Thirsty Thursday. If you missed it, first, I feel bad for you as it's a lot of fun. Second, I'll do my best to fill you in. We've now witnessed a couple of weeks with some significant drawdowns. Inventories are getting exceptionally tight, and the EIA estimates that Cushing's inventories are 26% lower than the last five years. 
The EIA's most recent prediction was a 2.4 million barrel drawdown, but it was actually closer to 3.5 million. The API seems to have looked towards its neighbor before making an almost identical prediction. They too were shy of the actual result, but by much, much more, as the drawdown was much closer to 6.1 million barrels. We've only seen two builds of more than 2 million barrels in the past 26 weeks, so things are going incredibly well. Gasoline inventories looked relatively close to falling even lower last week. Instead, we witnessed a 3.5 million barrel build of the stuff. Although this is good news for consumers, a trend line through the fall since July would show that we are not in the clear yet. Yes, this is a significant build, but it is totally possible that we witness just as dramatic of a drawdown by the next report. So what does this mean for gas prices? I'll tell you, steadiness. Last week's average was only two tenths of a cent higher than the current average. It seemed that even gas stations don't feel like they are in the clear yet. If we want to see lower gas prices, it could take a week of significant inventory builds, or several weeks, so don't celebrate the new 3.5 million barrels just yet. While the US struggles to find enough drivers to deliver most anything, the UK finds itself in a similar position, and BP just might ration gasoline deliveries. Travel a little to the east, and you will see Iran reducing its gasoline exports. Perhaps to build up its own reserves before a global shortage presents itself? Well, we'll just have to wait and see. But that is it for the statistics. Time to have a look at current events. While I would like to take more time talking about the 10-year shortage of natural gas in sections of uh, the UK and Europe, I think we beat that horse enough in the last episode. I'll get into it a little bit later, but I would like to prioritize one of the biggest deals in energy right now. If you haven't heard, Shell is jumping ship on the Permian of all places, and ConocoPhillips is hoping to pick up what they're leaving for about $9.5 billion. This encapsulates 225,000 net acres, producing about 175,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. While not every Shell employee in the Permian will be joining ConocoPhillips for the ride, they did mention that they would extend offers to most of the current staff. Shell plans to use the money for shareholder distributions and further strengthening of its balance sheet. How they plan to strengthen their balance sheet is really up in the air right now. Yes, it could mean positions in newer fields, or it could more likely mean investment in more renewable energy projects. At this point, I'm wondering if Shell is just pulling a massive Atlas Shrugged maneuver. What I mean is that Shell landed in lots of hot water in a Netherlands court earlier this year. They were ordered to reduce net emissions by 45% by the end of the decade. Sure, they do plan to appeal the decision, but now they have billions wrapped up in solar, wind, and other more green projects. Even so, they still aren't welcome to the United Nations Climate Change Conference. I know it's a stretch, but could it be possible that they are the first company fully pivoting to renewable energy just to show the world that the company will be ruined and people dependent on its oil will pay more for the goods they've become accustomed to? Okay, okay, I'll remove my tinfoil hat and calm down, but the whole situation is just very odd to me. At the end of the day, you can't call Shell's recent activity and business decisions boring, so I really am excited to see how all of this plays out a couple years down the road. Next, I'd like to talk about solar. You often read headlines that will say, solar is now just as efficient as oil and gas, or in-home electricity from natural gas costs just as much as residential solar plans. Usually, there's lots of goalposts shifting to support these arguments, but they have become especially popular ways of convincing homes and businesses to incorporate solar into their power consumption portfolio. Well, folks, I've got bad news. Solar prices had a pretty significant jump in the second quarter of this year, as raw materials become more expensive due to supply chain interruptions. In fact, 
residential, commercial, and utility solar costs all increase, which hasn't happened since Wood Mackenzie began tracking prices in 2014. While many companies have enough aluminum, steel, and cells on hand to be able to avoid purchasing more materials at their pricing peak, they'll have to run out eventually, and it's estimated that solar could get even more expensive peaking sometime in 2022. On top of this, there are plenty of trade issues brewing. U.S. Customs and Border Protection issued a withhold release order on Chinese silica products, which basically means the U.S. cannot import any tech-related item, especially photovoltaic cells, on concerns of forced labor. Not only that, but several industry groups are lobbying the government to ban importing solar-related infrastructure from Malaysia, Vietnam, and Thailand. All of this will just likely push the cost of solar higher and higher. Still, solar has its respective strengths. All energy is good energy, it's just possible that all energy will become expensive energy. While we're on the subject of increased material costs, I'd like to quickly visit an article that snagged my attention just with the headline alone. It reads, 50-fold jump in power rates hits UK metal mining sector. It was an article that I found on oilprice.com. As many companies are being pushed to reduce their carbon footprints, they turn to solutions that electrify some of their processes. Unfortunately, electricity rates are absurd thanks to the European gas shortage. This is absolutely destroying the profit margins of steelmakers and other industrial producers. Rather than continuing to produce chemicals, food, and raw materials at almost no profit or even a loss, more companies are curtailing their production. They're just trying to get the minimum demands to satisfy the contracts and float through this period of priciness. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is approaching a phase of shortages that are not driven by the lack of business and willingness to operate in the pandemic, but rather the lack of cheap and abundant energy. If we don't get legislation that supports the extraction of natural earth commodities like oil and gas, things could get a whole lot worse. By no means am I standing on top of an apple box over here shouting, the end is nigh! I'm just trying to highlight the issues that crop up when hydrocarbons fall out of favor of the public eye. Keep an ear to the ground as it's likely going to be more than just a toilet paper shortage should stuff hit the fan once again. But that is all we got for this podcast. Strange stories with somber undertones, maybe, but we are doing our best to deliver the news to you and stimulate some discussion. If you notice that we said something that was just flat out wrong, please email us at podcast at rarepetro.com to point out directly at what exactly we messed up. If you do end up catching something, we will send you a little bit of RP swag as a way of saying thanks. Other than that, you can go to www.rarepetro.com to find even more content that we've been producing for almost two years now. I think this podcast has a birthday coming up in a few weeks, so be sure to frack that producing area known as the follow button so you don't miss out on any celebrations. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 